Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. How many times do I have to wait until that comes up to our listeners before I start talking? I started before and then it interrupted me. I want to welcome everybody to today's Off the Shelf. This is our last Saturday in August. All of you guys could be here in Philadelphia right now. It is absolutely gorgeous, sunny, clear day. It's supposed to get into the low 90s, but it's just absolutely gorgeous. So I want to welcome you, August the 29th, to Off the Shelf, and thank you so much for being here with us. Our last show really, really was a good show, and we had lots and lots of listeners. So I hope that today you, you there's still time, as I tell people, to go tell your friends and your colleagues and book lovers and people who, who, who like it, not only entertainment and learning things, but you could be a small business person and you might pick up a tip, a marketing tip. And also you just like you value going after your dreams as our guest today has done. And you people can dial in, you can let your friends know there's still time they can dial in live at three four seven nine nine four three four nine oh. Again that's three four seven nine nine four three four nine oh. Or you could hop on over to off the shelf online and connect via the chat room. I wanna to start today's show as I do uh, I have been doing this the last couple of shows with a motivational quote because they make a big difference in my life, and they can encourage you right when you need a little spark of encouragement. And so today's motivational quote is, if you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. And the, and the author of that quote is anonymous. If you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. And I encourage you to get a copy of my latest book, Love, Pour Over Me. And it actually, I just thought of this. One of the main characters, Raymond Clark, that's something that he struggles with based on things he's gone with in his childhood. He has a very complicated relationship with his father. Love, Pour Over Me is a book about relationships, which I think is what life is all about. And you can you can learn more about, and you might learn a lot about yourself as you read Love, Pour Over Me. It is fictional, but... It has a real-life feel to it. You get to see what happens between Raymond and Brenda. If you love to see a couple that really belongs together, but that goes through a lot of struggles, I think you will enjoy their relationship and especially cherish how it ends. Uh, And Raymond and his father and four friends he meets at college. Raymond, to give you a little background on him, not not much because we're going to devote the time to today's show. He is an outstanding world-class track runner, track and cross-country, middle distance, and he's also very bright academically. He is really a sharp guy. But he's had a lot of things that happened to him when he was a kid. So uh, I encourage you to pick up a copy of Love, Pour over me. Now, this is a positive guy, and there are positive guys in this story, but they make mistakes. Again, you can get Love Pour Over Me in print or ebook anywhere where books are sold Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart. If you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk, say, I want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order a copy for you because Love Pour Over Me is carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So please go get a copy and let me know how you enjoy the book. And now let us go and meet today's special, special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest today is Shell Ramsey. Shell, and I was just there last weekend. Shell is an Atlanta, Georgia native. 
And this wife and mother of three has an MBA. An MBA, you guys, those things are challenging. In human resources management. She's also the author of the inspirational novels Bejeweled, Is the Glass Really Greener? Real Secrets and Reflections of Promises. If you want to learn more about Shell Ramsey, you just can just click on over to shellramsey.com, and I'm going to spell that for you, C-H-E-L-L-E-R-A-M, as in Mary, S-E-Y.com. Again, that's C-H-E-L-L-E-R-A-M-S-E-Y.com, and you can learn more about Shell, her books, upcoming events she's attending, and you can keep up with her blog there. Again, at shellramsey.com, C-H-E-L-L-E-R-A-M-S-E-Y.com. Why don't you go over there now, learn more about her, check out her books. You can look at her book covers even as you listen to today's show. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Shell. Thank you so much, Denise. I'm glad to be here. And we are excited to have you here, and we've had such, oh, my gosh, some of the guests we've had on our show have gone on to do national and international things that have just, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they were on a show. <laughs> and I see them on television. So I, I hope that you, whatever your dream is, that one day I look up and I'm going, oh, I interviewed her on Off the Shelf. <laughs> so you become a trail of great Off the Shelf uh, guests. I want to start, I always like to give our listeners backstory on our guests. So I know Atlanta I grew up, I was born in Ohio, but I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is close to Atlanta. And it we used to go down into Atlanta. It has really changed over, like, the last 20 years. And, I mean, it's grown in the traffic. When It wasn't like that when I was a kid. It's changed so much. I wanted to ask you, what was it like for you, Shell, growing up in Atlanta when you were a kid? Um, I don't know. I think, to me, it's home so it's always the same in some ways in some ways not so much um it it's always been a fairly big city but it grew by leaps and bounds once the olympics came in 96 and as you said though over the last 20 years that's when i've seen the greatest growth but as a kid you know we were just all over the place i think about how often um even though it's a big city we still had a lot of that southern hospitality going on you're walking down the street you're speaking to complete strangers waving at everybody sitting on their porch and you didn't have to know them or anything but everybody was so friendly and so welcoming and so outgoing and you know that's kind of changed over the years we still have that southern hospitality but you see a lot of people if you're a stranger and I don't know you, then I may not speak to you. So, you know, that's changed a lot. And I think one of the greatest changes is downtown Atlanta. Um, right now in downtown Atlanta, there used to be this big park before the Olympics came, and it was right across the street from Five Point Station, and they completely got rid of that. And, um, mm. they, you know, all of that right now, you actually can go and walk down over there to go to Underground Atlanta, which did not used to be there back then. But there was this big, huge park, and you would see a lot of people there. Um, actually, a lot of homeless people were there, too, as well, as sad as it is mm. to say, but a lot of that area has changed and looks drastically different. And the other one was Connector 7585, which is huge now um, and connects downtown, all the major highways through downtown. Back when I was really little, that was only like a two-lane highway. So that's 
and a lot of people would find that really hard to believe. Oh my gosh! Yes, if if you weren't if you're not from Atlanta, like I say, it's I, I just from the times we visited there, to me, it's changed astronomically. Mm-hmm. I, it really has. To me, it has a lot. And I've and I've, we've had a couple other guests who are from Atlanta, and they talk about it was just slower, and like you said, more simple, and it's just changed. I think again uh, mm-hmm. a lot. But it's still got that southern hospitality, and it's not as fast as the towns up north, that's for sure. Now, I wanted right. to ask you, how is living in Atlanta, it's a thriving southern city, uh, how has it helped living there? I don't know if they have a lot of book festivals and things that the authors could connect with the readers, but how has living in Atlanta versus like a smaller town, et cetera, how has it helped your writing career especially when it comes to connecting with readers and selling books? I think that's something that I'm still actually navigating now, trying to get to learn more about that. We always have, every year we have the um, Decatur Book Festival in downtown Decatur, which is huge because you've got people coming from all over there, and you can go and set up your um, booths and whatnot to, you know, market your books or whatever, and I've not done that yet. I've been down there, but not actually having a a booth, so to speak. But I think being in this city, it enables a lot because you've got so many different places to go to, so many different bookstores and, you know, little cafes that you can connect with people and not to mention on uh, public transportation. If you ever take the commuter bus or, or, you know, MARTA, any of those buses or trains or whatnot, you're constantly meeting people, constantly having that opportunity to connect with people on some level or another, even down at... Um, my day job, I'm in downtown Atlanta, and in the building that I work in, they quite often have little festivals going on or different things that they might oh, sell okay. um, where you can have an opportunity to uh, promote your products and things and whatnot because you've got people down there selling jewelry, all kinds of stuff. And then there's Woodruff Park right across the street, and then there's another little park up the street where they have – um, on Wednesdays during the fall and summertime, you can go down and you can market your books and share it with the people coming through there. So there's so many different opportunities to grow here um, and really be able to connect with readers and get people to know about what you're doing. And that's what I'm navigating now, learning about all the different opportunities and really getting it out, all of my books, before the people. Okay, okay. So you still. So how long have you been... When did you? What year? Okay, when you said you're still navigating that. What year did your first book come out? And that wasn't a question I was originally going to ask you, but just listening to your response, what year did you? And what? I guess I'm trying to even put a little spark up onto you. What are What are your plans to start connecting with readers more? You have a wonderful story to share. What are your plans? As you hopefully, I can help you start jogging your mind. Some yeah, that you're going to take. Even even starting next week. Actually, we are. My husband and I both have been working on one of the major things we're working on is going to, um, and this will be out of the city actually. But in the spring, when I bring out book four of this Bejeweled series, we're having a book signing in Cincinnati, Ohio. Speaking of Ohio, 
at okay. a couple of salons up there. So we're going to do that. We're stopping at a radio station in Kentucky and giving out books there and doing a book signing there as well. So we're trying to focus more on the book signing aspect. Speaking of next week, when my next shipment of books coming in, I'm supposed to be going to the local library here in Henry County where I reside to donate some of the books there to generate that interest so that people can know, you know, that I'm out there and what I'm doing because there's so much that I have to offer in these books, and they're so inspirational. And outside of being inspirational, it, my books deal with real-life adversity, real-life challenges that people go through. And I deal with controversial topics like domestic violence and infidelity and just really get into the heart of it. So just, you know, as we speak, it's been a lot of online marketing and publicity, word-of-mouth marketing and publicity, but actual in-person taking advantage of those book signings, connecting with different people, and connecting really with the salons because that's the backdrop of the jewel. It occurs in the salon. So marketing to those places, and, you know, we know when we go in the salons, most times you see somebody with a book or a magazine open, so that's a huge market area for me. And just really pushing into that area and going to the Decatur Book Festival as an author rather than just, you know, observing, getting involved. Yes, we might bump into each other. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Now, at your website, again, shellramsey.com, C-H-E-L-L-E-R-A-M-S-E-Y.com, you credit your husband for helping you to start sharing your writing talents. Now, what Mm -hmm. did your, before we get into your books, uh, what did your husband do? to help you get the word out about your books and your writing talents so where you had it maybe shelved and how did he get you to even start publishing your works? He, oh, boy, he had been pushing me for 12 years before I finally listened. But wow. the big thing that he did, the big thing that wow. he did was I was a member of a book club, and he encouraged me to go out and share it with those members. And I was like, no, because I'm such an introvert, and I did not want, I was like, I don't know how they're going to receive it, or they might not like it. And he was like, no, you have a gift, and you have to believe in your gift. And over the past three years, I've gotten to that place where I'm walking in it, I'm embracing it, I'm owning it because I know that it's there. And so I he told me to go out, share it with the book club, and I did. And when I shared it with them, I didn't let them know that I wrote it because it was still in manuscript form at that particular time. And I told him it was a friend of mine and she wanted their honest raw feedback because she needed to know what she had to you know, what she wanted to do with it. And so that was going to be the next book that we selected. So everybody goes and leaves. And by day two, I'm getting phone calls. And people are ranting and raving. I mean, emotions were all over the place. Some One person was crying. A couple of people actually wanted to fight one of the characters. I was like, okay, you know, didn't see that one coming. And when we came back together again and I finally showed, you know, shared with them that it was me that wrote the books, it kind of blew them away because they had no idea that I had that talent. And they were like, you've got to do something with this. You can't let this sit here and go to waste. And, you know, and he told me, I needed you to let someone else read this rather than me. So you won't see that it's just your husband saying this because I'm your husband and because I love you. But you need to know that this is real. And so by doing it that way, the feedback that I got was phenomenal. And I went ahead and took that first step out in 2012 with the first two books, um, Reflections of Promises and Real Secrets, which I have since pulled because I kind of did it more as a hobby back then. 
um, and I've since pulled to get those re-edited, get the covers done, and I'll be bringing those back out at the first of the year. And then uh, went on with Is the Grass Really Greener? And then with the Bejewel series, that's when I really started taking this entire thing seriously and taking it to another level. And, you know, not just even doing it in just the ebook fashion, but having the paperbacks as well and saying, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's how that got started with him pushing it in front of people without the knowledge of who's behind it all. Wow. Go, husband. <laughs> go, 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 he go is my him. number one fan. He keeps that foot on my back like, girl, oh, you can do this. Good. He does. Now, now, human resources is a field. I used to work in human resources. It's a field I know it gives you firsthand experience in how people tick. You, it's just you have to work with people, and you, even though you're not, it's not like being a psychologist or a psychotherapist, but you learn about people because you keep you start seeing trends and patterns in people, regardless of nationality, race, age. You just start to see patterns. How has your human resource experience, Shell, helped you to do something that writers really have to do to connect with readers? They have to develop deep characters and understand those characters. How has working in human resources helped you to do that? I think on a level of um, just really connecting with people, because in my line of work I actually work in real estate properties management but have that human resource component in my role. And so it is very essential that I am – in tune with the people that I work with as far as knowing what's going on, what their desires are, what are their goals, and trying to find out how I can be an asset to helping them reach their goals. How how do I help them, you know, improve in their job? What resources can I provide or can, you know, us as a team provide to get you to that next level to, you know, do your job well? And what issues are you running into that's creating any problems or, you know, inhibiting you from performing that role? And in doing that, I talk with them one-on-one a lot. You know, it's so funny because we have like this Monday morning gripe session where a few of my team members will call me and they just vent and they release and I listen to them. And at the end of it, I've just got to give them that word of encouragement to boost their spirits and keep them going. And so I think in that with my writing, it shows me, you know, why people are the way they are, what's at the heart of the matter. Because a lot of times we see people and they're dealing with all these issues, but what we don't understand is you don't know their backstory. You don't know what they went through as a child that got them to where they're at now or, you know, molded or shaped their personality into how it is now. You don't know what they're dealing with at home right now that has them coming out acting this way, you know, in public. You also never know. Sometimes the situations we go through, they're self-inflicted. A lot of problems that we deal with in everyday life isn't created by someone else, but it's created by us, and we fail to take that self-responsibility. And I think that's what I share with my characters. Some of them fail to take that self-responsibility. Then you have certain characters who are the stronger characters, like Olivia in the book, and she shows them, you know, the route to go. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to have faith in you in order for you to get past the things that you're dealing with now, in order for you to be able to push to another level, to go after your dreams and continue to build and to have a positive impact on the world. Because as a whole, it's not just about us ourselves. We all play a part in a greater picture that's so much larger than, you know, our finite uh, finite minds can even begin to imagine. 
and, um, you know, just been dealing with that human resource aspect of really happen, having to be open to people and empathetic towards their emotions and getting to the root cause of problems helps me in building the characters and, you know, knowing what it is that they need to project that depth of emotion that connects with the readers. Okay, okay. I, I can only imagine how it consciously and subconsciously contributes to your writing. Now, is Reflection of Promises, is that your first novel? And what inspired you to write Reflection of Promises? Now, actually, I did that kind of backwards. Real Secrets was the first novel, but Reflection okay. of Promises was the first one that I published. And ah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Reflections of Promises, I wrote that in 2011, and that was the one that I shared with my book club um, because I realized at that particular time, Real Secrets was written back in 2001. And so by the time I got there 10 years later to Reflections of Promises, I understood that my writing had grown a lot. So that was the one that I wanted to kind of push before the people. And Reflections of Promises is a story about a human resources professional and she has everything that, you know, most people on the outside looking in could imagine that she would want. She's got this great career. She's got a husband who's very successful. They've got the beautiful home and, you know, cars and all this wealth, but they don't have the major thing that they both want, which is that true unconditional love. And part of the fact that they don't have that unconditional love is because he really wants kids. And the thing that he wants the most, she can't give to him, and he doesn't understand why. But that's because she's holding a secret in her background that he has no clue of. She's not who she says she is. So that's what that book is about, is her really dealing with her past. And when the past comes out and comes to meet up with her present, she's got to reconcile all of that. So she, you know, it's all about healing forgiveness and of you know accepting yourself for who you are that we all make mistakes and you mm-hmm. have to deal with those mistakes you have to take on that self responsibility to be the best that you can be now she biologically can't have kids so it's not a choice she just can't exactly, exactly. Oh, it's okay. a biological okay. factor and she she doesn't want to tell him and she doesn't want to tell him that she cannot have kids so it's just this thing that he's figuring he's assuming it's her you know because of course it can't be him as a man you know nothing can be wrong with him (laughs) but you know with all his ego and bravado you know there's nothing wrong with him but it really is her and she doesn't want to um, confirm that it's her because then she's got to tell the truth about her story and that's what she's working to hide. I mean, she's moved 500 miles away from home just to hide the truth of who she really is. Uh, okay. Okay, so the next thing I want I have to ask you, because, again, you touch on real-life experiences. Is this loosely and directly or directly reflections of promises based on any real-life events or maybe a story you read in the paper. I, th- I think it was Stephen King, or it wasn't. There's a, there's a New York Times author who saw something like in a paper, and they said that's where they get some of their ideals, not to mimic the story, but to take bits of it and create a novel. Is that is is reflections of promises based on any real life events? And if not, where did you get the idea for the story from? 
With reflections of promises, the whole HR component was, you know, at that particular time off of the desire. I was in school for HR still at that time, and so that's why I wanted her to be what she was. In terms of her identity and hiding it, it was just something that popped up in my head, nothing that I had seen or happened, but, you know, I I just kind of ran with it. And, hmm, what would this be like or what would that be like? So that particular story, that one alone was just – garnered off of something that was going on in my head and just wanted to really explore how that would come out. Okay, okay. Can you introduce our off-the-shelf listeners to three to four of the book's characters, uh, giving them enough so that they'll really want to take a bite out of the story? And can you tell us what is it about these characters that actually keeps the story moving forward? Okay, well, we'll start off with, is the grass really greener? There are five women in that book who are best friends, and all of them, that story was generated from a dream that I had about someone dealing with, um, she was dealing with a scandal in a dream, and I jumped up in the middle of the night and wrote it down. Christina wow. is a news reporter, and she uh, she's always dealing with everybody else's scandals in the news, and she's always at the scene of the breaking news. But at some particular point in the story, the story flips, and she's at the scene of the breaking news. And her four girlfriends all have to kind of come and be there for her. They've all got their different lifestyles. They come from different backgrounds. But, you know, the bond that they have since meeting in college has never been able to be broken. And it just shows how we often look at other people's lives and think, oh, she's got this going on and she's got that going on. And you never know what people have got mm. going in their background. Their life looks one way and you're intrigued by that and, oh, I wish I had this, that, and the other. You don't know the work or the pain or the heart, you know, heartache they've had to go through to get their, themselves to that place. And so the whole premise of that book is if, you know, your grass could be just that green if you put in the water, the seeding, the aeration, mm-hmm. you know, the fertilization and everything that that person had to put into. So the five of them are all dealing with their own individual secrets, and it all comes to a head um, towards the end of the book. They all start revealing what they've been dealing with, and they see that, you know what, her life isn't any better than mine. And the interesting premise from that book was inspired by my book club. There were five of us all going through something, and I had no idea when I wrote the book that these ladies were going through some of the things that they were going through until after I wrote the book. But I wanted to write about five friends because of our book club. So that that really just gives people an eye-opener as to how much life is not as black and white as we seem to think sometimes, and that you need to be careful about judging other people until you've walked in their shoes. And even then, you can never really walk in someone else's shoes. Um, my Bejeweled series, This Is My Heart, it's Olivia is the main character in all four of the books. And right now, only books one and two are available. Book three will be out in November. But Olivia is a salon uh, she's a salon owner, and she has a relationship with her mom. Well, she had a relationship with her mom that was really close, and her life revolved around mom and the salon, and her mother dies. And so she's really focused on how she's going to be a major impact in people's lives the way that her mother was, how she inspires people to go after their dreams, to heal, to you know mend the relationships, because that's a huge component to her is relationships. She doesn't have her father in her life. He died when she was really young, and now her mother 
mother is gone, and she's in her 40s. She's not married. She has no children, and everything circulates around the people in the salon. And where she has this beautiful relationship with God and she walks closely with him, she still wants a husband and kids of her own. And she looks at all of her team of salon stylists, the, you know, masseuses, the nail techs, the hairstylists, all of them, they've got some bit of issues going on in their life from one extreme to the next. And her whole goal is to just keep them focused on how they you know, how they can overcome their odds if they have faith in God and if they have belief in themselves. Everybody's not always going to be accepting of that message, but you still have to keep on being you and being the best you that you can be in hopes that even if they don't accept the message the way that you're trying to give it, if you lead by example, hopefully they will turn their lives around. So with book one, it was The Flight of the Jewel, The Flight of an Angel was Angel's story and her dealing with the infidelity with her husband. And she kept putting up over and over again with all of his cheating and all of his lies until it came to a point where she could no longer ignore what was right in her face. And she's having to come into the salon every day and you know, they gossip in the salons. So everybody's talking about what's going on in Angel's life now, what's happening with her in black now. And Olivia is trying to do everything she can to keep her head up. Well, in book two, we meet Nikki, Carlos, and Wesley. Nikki and Carlos are married. She's dealing with domestic violence in her relationship. They don't, you know, they're they're kind of a young couple, but she's putting up with more than what she anybody should have to you know, have to go through in those type of situations. And she finds comfort, you know, with her friend Wesley, and he is a masseuse at the salon, but they're just friends. And so we explore how a man and woman can be friends without it being anything more or can they, you know, what really happens in those relationships, especially when their emotions are frail like Nikki's are. She's got low self-esteem. She She's not feeling good about herself or her marriage. She loves her husband. She tries everything she can to make it work. She keeps running into his alcoholism, and he can't let that bottle go for anything in the world because there again, he's got issues in his past that he has never dealt with. And so Bejeweled is it, it is really one – the whole series is going to deal with controversial topics, you know. Um, in book two, Olivia finds herself in the midst of a scandal that started in book one. Kiana, which is a stylist in book one, she comes back and she's bringing drama, and it's going to jeopardize Olivia's dream of opening her second salon. She finds her faith being tested as she struggles to stand firm in the relationship that she has with God, and she's trying to, you know, inspire other people to believe as well. But there is a heart-stopping cliffhanger in book two that's going to really leave everybody wanting to read book three. You've got to get book three, and people are going to be deliberating in book two over if they are for Team Wesley or Team Carlos. So ah, those so are the major characters in those books. When you started writing Bejeweled, did you, was it always your intention to have it be a series? No, it started off as one big, big book. Okay. My little feelings were so hurt because when I sent it out to my beta readers, one of the beta readers is an author, and she said to me, because my husband kept saying, well, I'm having an issue with this book. And I'm like, why? He said, I don't know what it is, but there's an issue with this book. And she Mm -hmm. told me, she said, you need to break it down into a series. I said, well, why do you say that? She said, because you've got... These people in here, she said, and it's good stuff. She said, I mean, it's really good, and you're dealing with the heart of the matter of topics. She said, but it's too many of them in this one book. 
And she was like, let me focus on this person's story or this person. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Well, I've never written a series. How am I going to do this? So that, you know, I thought was going to be a challenge for me. And when I went back and just start breaking down the different chapters and pulling this one and pulling that one, I was like, okay, I've got four distinct books here, and this is good. And so I, I started building from there. So it wasn't intended to be a series in the beginning, but – I am so happy that it is now. Oh, okay, okay. I gotta ask you now. How did doing the research for today's show? How did Tamara Roman? She's a main character for Off the Shelf listeners and Real Secrets. How did she get started in professional dancing? Tamara. She decided that she did not want to, and that's another book that I've temporarily pulled to do a lot of editing on, but she didn't want to go through the struggle that she saw her mother go through. Her father um, died and he, while she was still a teenager, and so her mother has had the struggle of trying to raise her and her younger sister on her own, and mom was a housewife for a long time. She really didn't have any skills or anything to offer into the workplace, but she finally found her a job, and and, you know, she's not making more than minimum wage. So she watched her mother struggle, and she watched her mother have to get assistance, you know, through food stamps and whatnot just to be able to keep their little household going and not be able to provide them with anything more than what, you know, the basic necessities. And she wanted things, especially as a teenager, because they get caught up in that material world. I want the clothes. I want the shoes. I want what all my friends have. I don't want anybody looking at me this way or that way. And so she started thinking, well, how am I going to get it? And she also did not have skills, and school was not a top priority for her as far, you know, at that time. And so she you know, has friends, and she finds out that she's got other things going on to offer in her mind, or so she thinks, and she starts dancing. And when she gets out there and she starts dancing, she starts realizing, hey, I've got this power. <clears throat> she loves the power that she has over these men, how they're so intrigued with her when they dance, when she dances, how they really believe. She can she can make them believe, You're, I'm all about you. I'm in love with you. I've got your attention for the moment, and so I'm all about you, and this is what I have to offer you. And she wields this power over these men, and, you know, so she's just caught up in the life because of the money that she's earning more than anything else. You know, she it's, it's become like a drug to her, the money and the power and just having that control. Okay, she starts off with seemingly nothing in her mind, and then she's going to do anything she can mm-hmm. to, to get what she thinks will make her happy. Now, how long have Darren and Tamara, how long have they been together when the book opens, and what's their relationship like, and what attracts them to each other? Ah. Ah, you got me. It's been a minute since I've been on that book because it's so old. But they've been together for a few years at that particular point, I believe about five or six years at that point, because they also have a little boy who's about three. And their attraction to each other was initially, you know, he was attracted to her for the same reason all the other guys was attracted to her for, you know, her body, her physical attraction. Um, But he, they started connecting in a way that both of them wanted something greater in life. They both wanted something better out of life than settling for just average. And, you know, they wanted to build wealth because they were attracted to the material. But he has a mindset that Darren wants to do it 
the way that, you know, he believes it should be done, the traditional way. We're going to work hard, and, you know, whatever sacrifices we've got to make along the way, that's what we're going to do. I work at UPS. You don't have to work in the dance club, you know, because she's also in school at this particular time. She's enrolled in college, taking courses, and he believes that they should do it the traditional route. Whereas she believes, well, hey, this is fast, easy money. I can do it. I can get it. And I'm going to keep doing it until we're able to save up, get everything that we want. And then I'll stop doing it once I'm able to achieve everything I want. You know, our our cars are bought and paid for. Now we can get a house if I keep doing this for a little longer. And so that starts causing a clash between them because she doesn't understand what his problem is. This is what I was doing when you met me. Why do you want to change me now? And he's like, well, because you told me you wouldn't keep doing it. And she's like, yeah, but you accepted it in the beginning. What's the problem now? Well, now we have a son. We have to make sacrifices. We have to make changes. And it becomes really rocky. You know, he starts stepping out of the relationship, going to, you know, a place where he feels like, this woman is who my ideal image of what a woman I can take home to mom should be. And it becomes really, really rocky, you know, even to the point where she starts becoming insecure. Are you going to hold this over me, you know, with my child? Because at one point in the story, he actually, he packs up the baby and he leaves, you know, and so she's really scared. Now, what am I going to do? You know, and it's just uh, both of them are playing off of one another's insecurities and self-consciousness. Wow, so he wants the traditional thing. He doesn't get what he wants, so now he's even... He doesn't make the right decision. He does something even worse. Now, in Mm -hmm. what ways is this other woman in Darren's life, how is she like Tamara? You know, sometimes people do things like have an affair, and you're like, you know, that person you have an affair with is just like your spouse. Yeah, exactly. How How is she like Tamara, and how are they different? She's like Tamara in that she's very selfish, and it's all about me, me, me. You know, she wants the material items, too. And so she wants what she wants, and I expect to have nice things, and, you know, it's it's all about me. But in the ways that she's different is that she's willing to do or say whatever he wants and needs to hear to make him feel like he's the man. I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to make you feel like you are the king that you are. And so she does that, and that's what he is feeding off of because he needs that. He needs to feel like the man, the head, the powerhouse, the king. And Tamara's thing is, I'm strong and independent. I don't need you. I want you. And I can do just as much as you can do, too, you know. So he's got these two different, they're, like you said, alike in some ways because they both are consumed with that material, that materialistic aspect of life, you know, that drives them. And they're both very selfish women, but they go about it in two totally different ways. Ah, yeah, yeah, I can I can see. Is there a single message that you want readers to take away from reading Real Secrets? In Real Secrets, it's just really knowing who you are and not feeling like you have to succumb to anything um, in this life to get to where you need to be. You put in the hard work, but above all, you stay true to yourself. Don't succumb to the way society say that you should live life. And at the end of the day, you need to make sure that you're getting out of your – you're putting into your relationships what you're getting out of it and that it's balanced. 
You don't take mm-hmm. anything from anybody. There needs to be a balance. You need to be building that other person up just as well as they're building you up. And if that's not happening and if it's dangerous or any type of way harmful to your soul, your spirit, or your body, you got to take that step away. Yes, yes. I'm glad you said that. And now we're going to talk about the fabulous Bejeweled. Where did the ideal, I know one of your books you said came through a dream, uh-huh. and one came from your work in human resources. Where uh-huh. did the ideal for Bejeweled come from? Bejeweled started off actually as I have a girlfriend who is, she's the sweetest lady, and she has this beautiful relationship with her mother. Now, her mother is, unlike Olivia, her mother is still alive. And so she, she I just watch their relationship all the time. They do everything together. They travel across the country and across the world together. And she's really all about her mom, but she also, she's single, and, you know, she doesn't have any kids, and she is the epitome of a professional. She has this great career, and, you know, she's doing great things in life, but she doesn't have that family yet. It's just her and her mom. And I was like, hmm, what would that be like, you know, to be in your 40s, and you want this family, but you've not yet had the opportunity to start it. And so I began to explore it from there. That's the only um that's really the only similarities there is that they're both single, they don't have this family, and they had a strong relationship with their mom. And from there, I just went on. And then I got to thinking about the salon, and I decided to use the salon as a backdrop because we always go in the salon and we get a you know, glimpse of what's going on into the salon, but we never really get a true glimpse of what's going on into the stylist's lives. You know, I sometimes see them as counselors to the clients, the people that they're serving because they sit and mm-hmm. listen and, you know, and they're always there. And I wanted to tackle that because at the end of the day, they are human too, just like we are. They're dealing with challenges and issues too, but they still have to keep pressing on because they are dealing with the public. They've got to come, they've got to put on their best face, and they have to render their best service. And so that's why I decided to put it in the salon. Like, let's get a different glimpse of what that might be like. And that's how, long has, that. how long has <laughs> Olivia, how long has she owned the house of the jeweled hair and nail salon and where is this salon located this salon um the first salon the jeweled downtown location is is located on peace tree okay street in downtown atlanta <laughs> in right. the heart of downtown atlanta and she has at this at the point where book one comes out she has owned the salon for about three years because her mother passed and she inherited inherited the salon from her mom but she um, took on more and took it from just hairstyling to the nail side and the masseuse side, you know, offering those services. By the time book two comes, she's opening up a second salon, and that's what she's trying to do in Buckhead. But she runs into the obstacle of the drama that jumps off in book one. One of the clients that comes in gets their hair done, and she is she comes in early one day um, when they're having a meeting, and Olivia decides to go ahead and let her in even though the salon isn't open. So they're having the meeting back there, and then something jumps off, and this client records it, and she uploads it on social media, and it just takes off. And so once the people in Buckhead get a glimpse of what happened, they're like, well, we don't want that in our neighborhood. We don't want that in our community. You know, so they're going to try to do everything they can 
to thwart her plans of opening that second salon because of what happened at the first salon. And they have ideas of what they want in their community, how they want their community to continue on, and what they don't want. Because downtown Atlanta and Buckhead are really two different, mm-hmm. two completely different areas mm-hmm. in what you see. You know, I, I like I said, I, I work in downtown Atlanta, so sometimes I commute down there um, by the commuter bus, the express bus, or sometimes I drive. And if I take the commuter bus and I walk through downtown Atlanta, I see story on story on story. Ah. I'm entertained for hours on end. You know, whereas yeah. on the other end, Buckhead has yeah. this image and this reputation to it, Poe. So yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a nice little parallel there going on. Now, what what type of a business owner is Olivia? What type of woman is she? Is she laid back? Is she very hands on? Is she? Is does she get along with her people who work with her? What's she like? And what's she like to work with? Olivia is really inspirational. She believes in everybody. She gives everybody the benefit of the doubt, and she pushes people to be their best. She wants to do everything she can in her power to open up an opportunity for people to be able to pursue their dreams. She's not hands-on in that she's not constantly watching over them. She is more observant of their emotions and their feelings and what they might be going through and how things impact them and how she can you know, best enable them to get the best that they can out of life. She gets along with everybody that comes in there. And more often than not, if something if something jumps off, Olivia's going to be found somewhere praying over the situation. And she feels, if she feels the need to, she'll pull them off to the side because she does not believe in fronting on people or getting loud. She is such a lady. She's so classy and so elegant. And she pulls them to the side and she'll have a one-on-one with them. And, you know, she'll ask them, can I pray with you or can I pray for you? And before she ever dispenses advice, she's always praying and asking God for guidance before she does that. And she understands that everybody's walk is not her own. Everybody doesn't have that relationship that she has so she respects that and she doesn't try to push her values on them but she just lovingly in her own little way guides them to where she thinks they need to be to build that connection with their higher power or build that connection within themselves even just to believe in themselves that's her greatest thing is she wants everybody to have belief in themselves because there's nothing you can't do and anywhere you cannot go if you just have that belief in yourself Okay, can you describe Angel? And then I want to ask you about uh, a tangled web we weave. Uh, we have about fifteen minutes left, but can you can you tell us at what point does Angel enter the story? We're starting from the very first book in the series. At what point does Angel enter the story, and what's she like? Angel is very. She is. At the beginning of book one, she is very, she's a sweet girl, but she's very conscious and insecure um, with everything that's going on with her marriage. So she's constantly worried about what someone's going to say. She's constantly going to take things the wrong way sometimes if people aren't careful of what they say. And she wears her feelings on on her sleeve. She is a mother um, as well as a wife, and, you know, her focus is on 
she wants to be like Olivia. She really looks up to Olivia. She admires everything that Olivia has done, but she doesn't believe that she has it in herself to be that, you know, to own her own salon one day or to do those things because she realizes she's got a lot of drama going on in her own life and she can't get past that drama. She doesn't know how to do it or, you know, how to create that place of peace for herself. And her story really opens up in Chapter 2, which is Beauty Shop Gossip in um, the first book, Bejewel, Angel Takes um, Angel Take, uh, the Flight of an Angel. And she is, you know, prepared to get ready to go home because she's been trying to get in contact with her husband and he's not answering the phone. So, you know, she can't even focus on her work for worrying about what is he doing? What is he up to? She called the house and he's not answering the phone. He's not, you know, she called the job. He's not at work anymore. And it's just driving her crazy, you know, so she, she can't really focus on being the best she can because she's so steeped in the insecurities and self-consciousness of what's going on in their day-to-day life. Now, what's happening to Miss Olivia Angel and the other main character? And I can only imagine that these characters probably started out as customers of Bejewel. But what's happening to these women at the start of? And then I want to start talking about the writing process itself with with just about Mm -hmm. 10 minutes left. But what's happening to Olivia Angel and some of the other major characters in Bejewel? What a tangled web we weave. Um, in what a tangled web we weave, Angel kind of takes a step down then because she's really dealt with her issues in book one, and they've pretty much come oh, okay. to a conclusion. And she's there, but she has, without giving too much away, she's in a different location, and she's in a different position um, because of some things that jumped off in book one. So okay. she's no longer at the downtown location, but she's doing different things, and she is walking in her healing. She is in a good place in her life, and she's just, you know, really moving forward with growing in the strength and belief that Olivia always wanted her to have. She's not stuck in the past anymore. Um, Kiana, who was a major player in book one to the trouble and the drama that went on, in book two she makes a brief appearance. Um, but the appearance that she makes is all based on the scandal that Olivia's going to find herself having to deal with with her two mm. salons. Olivia, uh, Kiana simply comes back to cause trouble in book two. So <laughs> nothing less and nothing more. She's just coming to do what she does best. Um, and then, of course, we've got our wonderful team, Bad. Everybody loves Bad. That's Belinda and Darla. They are the gossiping oh, okay. from book one, <laughs> and they are still gossiping in book two, and they are loving the gossip that they create, and if they can't find gossip, they're going to create it, and they're going to add some mm. hot sauce to it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's taking it to another level. And Tyrone, oh, my goodness, everybody loves Tyrone because he is hilarious. Tyrone is back in book two also, and he is gossiping with Bad, and he is talking about what everybody needs to do and what they don't need to do, and he is still doing the fabulous thing that he does with his hands. He's still got women lined up waiting to get in his chair to get their hair done because he is the master stylist. And he also takes over my blog every Tuesday for your listeners. Ah! He is there every Tuesday, and he is just just tearing these women to pieces with his thoughts. So. Um, all of them are back in book two, but like I said, the focus in book two is on Nikki and Carlos and Wesley. Okay, Nikki and Carlos and Wesley. Now, can you tell us, I like to on Off the Shelf, because we have a lot of people who listen to our shows who 
not only like to know about the guest books, but they like to take away things they could use if they're thinking about writing a book themselves or going to script writing, poetry, small business owner. They might want to know the process to, of creating a story, and some of them just want some marketing tips. So I like to share these things uh, here on Off the Shelf with our listeners. Can you tell us to start about the process that you use to write your books. Do you sit down, Shell, and do you do an outline? Do you keep a journal? Do you do character sketches? What's your process for writing a book? I used to just sit down and write, and I would just go. And to a certain extent, I still do. If it's on my heart and in my mind, I just got to get it out there. But somewhere along the way, probably by the third chapter, I'll stop now. And I and I, I give all credits to my um, writing group leader and friend, MJ Kane. She got me into the habit of creating the outlines. I didn't used to do that in the beginning. But now as I do that, and especially with this Bejeweled series, it was so essential to have the outline to keep all the different personalities separate, who likes what, who does what, what's this person's background. I think it's very critical in writing, even though I'm still a I'm still a pantser at heart. <laughs> I'm gonna just go by the seat of my pants. And I don't I don't develop my stories using the outline as far as what's gonna happen. I still allow that to dictate itself. You know, I have no clue how some of these things are gonna end. I'm coming to the end of writing book four in the series now, and I still don't know what's going to happen, even though I'm over 80,000 words in. So right. that part for me is because I believe that it needs to do what it does. The gift needs to – I humble myself to the gift, as my husband mm-hmm. says, and I and I let it do what it does. But I do use the outline in a way to differentiate their personalities and their histories and their past, not necessarily to dictate the story, but just so I can identify with who is who and who's done what and and, and keep everything moving forward in a fluid motion. And that way stuff doesn't get tangled up for me. You know, like now I can look and I can always go back and say, oh, this is what's going on with Olivia, where in my earlier novels, as I stated, I just wrote them. And I'm like, hmm, well, why did I come up with that idea? And I might not have a clue. I know this now, you know, so it it does keep me organized. And I do encourage writers, especially if you're really new to it, to use it. There's nothing wrong with going by the seat of your pants, but definitely implement that outline, even if it's just to keep your character straight in your head. Now, you also blog. Years ago, blogging, people were making a lot of money blogging, and some really popular bloggers still can make 30k and up a year from blogging but it's not it's not what it used to be because so many people as we see with ebooks and different things the 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 there's so many people doing it uh the curve to really take advantage of it might be on a down slope you got to get in on things when they're new but not mm-hmm. new new to really really take advantage of them and anybody with a marketing degree knows that they I forget what they call that curve. You don't want to come in too late, and you don't want to come in too soon to really, really uh, take advantage of it. Now, so blogging isn't, I mean, the curve isn't going up now. It's probably coming down uh, at this point. But you also blog. I wanted to ask you, how has blogging helped to introduce your books to readers? It has uh a lot of people come on because what I do on Writer Wednesdays, um, I, I share a lot of my excerpts from my books and point others to it. And then, you know, 
I had one blog that I've just recently shut down, writing my dreams, and started blogging from my website, so that people didn't have to hop all over the place and they could find everything in one place. My books, my, you know, my events, as well as my blogging. And what I used to do on the other blog that I'm working on putting into this blog now is, you know, host other authors as well and their books and things of that nature. But what I do with my own books. I put them out there and share excerpts, and then when I share the excerpts, I always have that little link at the bottom so they can go ahead and uh, purchase their copy, and you know, or download download the ebook or purchase the paperback, whichever one they choose to do. But it tends to draw people in because they leave their comments about how they feel about what happened in that story. Because I always try to put something that's really going to pull them in, but yet at the same time leave them wanting more at the end, so that I'm like, huh, well, what happened next? You know, and and it makes them want to go out and get the book. So for me, just because of the fact that when I blog, I put out the content that I really, really want them to see, the heart of the book, what they're dealing with, and who these characters are. It tends to draw people in because they want to know more. Okay, and and that's what I found with it. And so that's a good reason. That's one more way to introduce your works to readers, uh, and that's a very good advice, and I'm, I thank you for sharing it. The more you can get out here, online, offline, you're not going to meet everybody on, at Facebook. You're not going to meet everybody mm-hmm. on Twitter and, and mm-hmm. Pinterest, and but some people you'll meet on Facebook, some people Twitter, Pinterest, some people at a book festival or a book signing. You want to get out and have as many opportunities and avenues that lead back to your story as possible. Uh, that's I just think that's just a great advice, and so that's one way you can your blog. Even if only five to ten people a day come mm-hmm. over, that's five to ten a day, which add up those numbers. Three sixty-five days a year. Right. <laughs> that's a lot of folks. If you look at it, just five, you think, oh, that's nothing. I'll shut it down. No, start factoring in a whole year of that many yeah. people coming in, and now you've introduced your work to a lot of people. I have to ask you, um, and we're coming down to the wire, but can you share three to five tips that writers and even other uh, people with other products that they can take advantage of when marketing their works and introducing their works to other people? We, we talked about the blog. We talked about having as many avenues as you can YouTube's videos, et cetera, pictures to get people back to your product. What mm-hmm. other tips can you share that you found effective, Shell? Other things that I have found effective is always having your uh, some type of material to promote your books, whether it's a business card or, you know, a little postcard. I try to keep things like that on me so that I can hand it out and they can get samples of, you know, my work by going to the website that's on there or seeing the covers because I really love the covers in the Bejeweled series. And I thank the uh, Killian Group for that. They've done a phenomenal job in working with me of getting my vision out. But handing out information like that is going to draw people in as well because they're curious, you know. Even if they don't do it at this moment or whether they – go off right away and buy your book or not, if you're out there and you're sharing samples or whatever, they'll start following you. They'll start coming in. That's one of the things that I found really helpful. Another thing that I found really helpful is using things like e-reader news today um, to market your books. I notice whenever my books are on their website, it drives sales like crazy. And so I love them. Mm. It's really 
hard to get on there because so many people are lining up to do it. But um, that always just really does great work. And another thing that I've Sometimes people think that you're crazy for doing it, but I give away books. I don't mind yes, giving away books yeah, because yeah. when you give it away, and especially if you have a series like I do, then they want to read that next mm-hmm. book. They're going to go out, and if they really like your work, they're going to become a follower and a supporter of yours. So I yes. always encourage doing that, and especially if people don't know you. You know, you just want to get your product out there into the people's hands so they can see what it is that you're so enthusiastic about, what's got everybody else fired up. And, you know, speaking of which, um, I'm actually giving away two copies of, two signed copies of uh, But You Are What a Tangle Web We Weave, which is book two, to any listeners who go out and purchase book one, if you've not already done it, But You Are the Flight of an Angel. And they can email me proof of purchase at cmichelleramsey at gmail.com. And if they do that, I will, to, like I said, two listeners will be randomly selected to get a copy, uh, a free signed copy of book two, Bejeweled, What a Tangled Web We Weave. So, you know, go out now okay. to Amazon and look for Bejeweled, What a Tangled Web We Weave and Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel. Purchase Bejeweled, The Flight of an Angel, and you'll get Bejeweled, What a Tangled Web We Weave. You can go out to bit.ly forward slash shell R books. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash C-H-E-L-L-E-R books. Or you can just search for Shell Ramsey on Amazon. Okay. We want to thank you for your for those, the, the two book giveaways to two of our off-the-shelf listeners. So I encourage you to, again, like Shell said, to go out and get the first book, and she'll give the second one free after you give her proof of purchase. So we want to thank you for that. And we want to thank you, Shell, for your time today. Um, connecting with our listeners here at Off the Shelf Radio. And, of course, thank our listeners. Please go out and support Shel Ramsey, her book series, Bejeweled. She also is the author of Is the Grass Really Greener? We didn't have time to speak about this that book, Real Secrets and Reflections of Promises. And please go get a copy of Love for Over Me by Denise Turney as well. I want to thank all of our listeners for being here with us today. Please come back next Saturday. We're here at Off the Shelf Radio, Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. I always say for folks who get confused about Eastern Standard Time or who are dialing in from another country. So we want to thank you for your support. As I always tell you, and I hope one day you truly believe this, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are absolutely incredible. Go out and create a fabulous, a fabulous day for yourself today. Just get, just love yourself really, really good today and let yourself be loved real good today. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m., off the shelf. Shell, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you. Bye for now. <laughs>